Well, it's like you said, if he's not filing uh, the flight plans under the one thirty rule 135, which would be income producing, where's the money coming from? So, so what he did was is, is he would fly – what we had learned through the interviews is he was flying contractors. So he might have flown 15, 20 different contractors down to Guyana to work on this hangar. And at the time, if you look up a, a flight to, to Guyana from JFK, it could be 500 bucks. But he would fly these contractors down on his plane, and it would cost $40,000 to fly there and back. So it made no sense. Why wouldn't you just put these contractors on a, a commercial flight? Well, me thinking about it, if there was ever an issue where something was found, I would maybe blame the contractor. Welcome to Game of Crimes. Now, the, the aircraft that he was using, these weren't just twin engines, were they? These are very nice jet planes, right? Yeah, again, I, uh, Lear Jets, um, he had actually, in his money laundering scheme, he had purchased his first, first jet. And, you know, when you're earning cash and you're spending it now on fuel and maintenance and pay off the, the plane, now you're spending cash to pay off the previous owner of the hangars. And you're you're depositing cash and moving it away. It all kind of stems now from from this cash, and it, it dirties up everything that he's he's touching. So he actually had three planes, um, one of which was was seized at the border for the border stop. Then another one that was seized, um, we seized that was his main plane that was actually being main. It was it was um, it was being fixed when he was flying the the second plane, and then we seized a third plane which was a plane that we saw him purchase sourced with the drug cash. Um, but it was a plane that he was going to dump more money into maintaining it and getting it up to, you know, up to speed. And that was, you know, a, a bigger, a bigger plane, a challenger, I think it was. Yeah. Let's roll back for a little bit and talk about, let's go back to some of the investigation. Cause I mean, you're getting all this stuff. I want to focus a little bit too on when you said you were doing traditional investigative stuff. So tell us about that. Where did you guys set up at, um, and you know, what kind of things were you doing in terms of, you know, once the plane takes off, that's kind of out of your hands, but was he moving around Morristown? Was he moving around the area? You know, kind of give us an idea about the scope of how far out you were following this guy and what he was doing. Well, so, I mean, it, it's hard being that I'm in an office in, in, in Union County and he was living up in Passaic County, the Northern part of Passaic County. And he went North to Stewart International Airport. And where's where's that airport located at? That's that's in it's in the southern part of New York State. I think it's about it's probably about an hour from where I'm at. So it's right up 87, and it, it um, maybe an hour, 50 minutes outside of the city. So he would drive. He had a home there, and then would drive up there. Yeah, and so yeah, so there would be times, and then, and then now. He had the clearance to get into the airport, and I didn't. So as soon as you'd, you'd follow him to the airport, you you would, you know, lose him. Or, you know, if if I did surveil him, you know, um, 
there was, you know, times where I'm sorry, is that what they called the fixed base operator? He would go into yeah. the that area, the FBO area, where it's right. only for private pilots and charters and stuff. Right, right. And so it was very hard to access any of those unless you. And then that's where Pete Chartier came in and, and got us onto the tarmac up at Stewart, and we're sitting out watching, you know, him board his plane, but. You know, what you don't realize is how much maintenance goes in, involved in these planes. And when, when he had actually left to go to San Juan, he was having mechanical issues. He was having, you know, flap issues where he had to have them fixed and there was a delay and, and uh, you know. Yeah, so flaps all are these kind things... of important to take off and land on a plane. <laughs> yeah. you might, we all might want to make sure those things work. Yeah. So, so you know, the, the, the stop and the refueling actually was a two-day process and, and you know, filing in the flight plans and, and, and then him announcing that he's leaving, uh, you know, then ultimately he's, he's stopped and searched. And, and uh, so how many, how many folks are working this case right now? It's you. Uh, how many people do you have at this point in time on the case? So, and I and I I'm going to take a step back because at the time, so within IRS, I ha always have had a handler. I've had a special agent that kind of oversees a task force. So at the time, uh, it was a, a senior agent, Stephen Helmstetter. So Steve Helmstetter did all of the IRS paperwork for me, and I just kind of built the case, and then he kind of oversaw it with me, um, and then anything I needed within the IRS was going directly to Steve. So I had Steve Helmstetter, um, and then there was. Bill Mateo, who is another senior agent who kind of, you know, hovered around in the task force, um, worked his own cases, but was a resource. And then there was Cecilia Fowler, who was a uh, also in the task force, but did a lot of the, the asset, you know, uh, forfeiture. And if we needed appraisals of different things, she would be involved in that. And then I had task force agents, you know. Um, but this case lasted so long, it actually lasted past most of the agents I worked with. So, you know, some of the guys had retired and moved on and, and you know, Eric Schmitz and Joe Moretto and I'm going to name drop like crazy, Donnie Wilkenfeld and, you know, Paul Hahn, like, you know, um, Alethea Baldwin. So all of these people I've, I've worked with or had like little little hands in, in, in involved in this. Um, but, you know, now that I had the financial picture and I was I was comfortable with where I was at and I was ready to to seize assets now I start bringing in, you know, Pete Chartier with, with Homeland Security, Steve Tockerman with FAA. Then we get into the DEA groups. So it's, you know, three or four agents with DEA. Then we get into the Rochester group. Their task force was was multiple, multiple agents. And then we get into San Juan and San Juan was CBP and, and, and HSI. Um, you know, so so there was there was a, a lot of different different people that that were involved in this and helped move this along with you putting 1200 cash <laughs> transactions into a spreadsheet printing them out how long did that take you i mean you got to start looking at this and going oh shit this is going to kill me man i am going to be brain dead by the time i put all these numbers in so you start building a picture based on grand jury subpoena returns and then you realize well i don't have this piece of it or i don't have that piece of it or why is this mortgage getting this payment? Or, you know, there's so many holes to a financial story that you could speculate it. But at the end of the day, the structuring is the structuring and going to physically see assets like planes, like houses, like cars, you know, like you could paint that whole picture. But you're right. It's the underlying reason. It's the underlying 
suspicious, suspicious unlawful act, the SUA, that is the specified unlawful act, the SUA that ultimately gets you to the money laundering charges, um, which is ultimately where I wanted where I wanted to get to, and, and the drugs led us there. So, so once you, once you establish that predicate, basically this is okay. This thing is now the 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 product of ill gotten gains, like a plane. What's the level of what's the what's the burden? I say now to go after plane number two and plane number three in a house. I mean, basically, once you get that first anchor in, it's pretty easy to roll up all the other stuff, right? Yeah, right. So, so based on based on the interviews, based on on the DEA investigation, um, you know, we had a very good picture as to to what he was doing. But you know, I'll, I'll say that, you know the activity started in, in eleven. My case started in fourteen. He's indicted in Western District in the summer of fifteen, um, and and meanwhile, in in so when the when the secondary happened, that was November of fourteen. Then the DEA case ramps up, and now they have indictments on him in December of I'm sorry, in summer of fifteen. We then supersede the indictment, take over the case in 2017, and we d- indict him in New Jersey in 2017. So, real quick, su- supersede. So, when you when you file that, w- let people know what that means. So, you filed a superseding indictment and you took it over. What does that mean? So, so in Western District of New York, they had the the drug angle. They had everything moving up into the seizures of cocaine and had the 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 conspiracy that he was involved in. And he was charged in 15. Well, then now fast forward to 17, we then take the drug and the diff- different pieces of the drug evidence that they've had, they've uncovered, our DEA group in New York uncovered, and then we mirror it with the money. And we then, that indictment goes away and then we supersede and, and charge him in the district of New Jersey for everything. It was eight counts of conspiracy to distribute, to import the structuring, the money laundering, you know, the spending, like it was, it was, you know, all wrapped into one. And ultimately he goes to trial in in 18 and gets found guilty of all eight counts. 19, he's sentenced to 13 years. And now just in March of 2021, a third circuit affirms the conviction. Well, so, wait a minute. I mean, from Back up start to finish, this goes. All that work, you guys spent more time on the case than he got in prison, it almost seems like. <laughs> I don't want to go down that road. <laughs> oh, well, let's, but let's, but that, I, you know, just, just at first blush with the amount of money, the amount of dope and everything he was doing, 13 years seems awful light. Did this guy uh, cooperate? Did he provide material information on anything or did he just clam up, go to trial and take his lumps? Well, he he went to, he went to trial and and took his lumps. I mean, with any case, the goal is to climb the ladder, right? And and um, you know, the ladder kept, I guess, seeming to stop, and you know, he he took his lumps, and and that was that. He he went to trial. You've got a lot of you guys have a lot of sweat equity involved in this, and for him to, uh, I'm smarter than you guys. I'm going to take you to trial. Well, <laughs> good luck in the Fed pen there, big boy. Oh yeah, he was he was offered a plea, and 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 you know he turned it down, and and that was his his nature was you know I guess he was just the wanted to be the smartest guy in the room, and he decided that that's I'll test this, and and the jury didn't buy it. Do you remember what the plea? Do you remember what the, he was offered? Like plead to what five years? I mean, would he would have got five years, six years? I think it was more than that, if if I remember correctly, it might have been ten. All right. Yeah, still, man, but I'd, I'd shave off three years. I mean, three years is a long time in federal prison. So even though it's probably it, it, Kush. I, and 
that was the first like federal case that I was involved in and the trial prep that went into that. Um, so now I have to name drop the two, the two trial attorneys that came, came in and, and, you know, like I said, it, it passed several different attorneys along the way, but it was Jonathan Peck and Tom Carney, who are both out of the district in New Jersey that ultimately took this across the finish line. And then it was multiple, you know, attorneys after that, 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 you know, were involved in the appeals and, uh, you know, now that I think of the appeal process, there's probably even more attorneys involved, but, you know, it was, it was a case as, that was well supported by, by the district in New Jersey. That's for was sure. Was there, and, and so in your investigation, was there any, um, uh, evidence to suggest where he was getting his cocaine from? Who it was, he working independently? Yeah. It, well, it, it, you know, again, I, learning all of this information, I didn't realize what a hub Guyana was, uh, f- for cocaine. And, you know, we we all know that the value of cocaine is all in the transportation of it, right? So you're buying buying it for pennies on the dollar, and then if you're transporting it from one country to the next to the next, now when you get it on the airplane, by the time it gets up in New Jersey, it's you know thirty thousand, thirty five thousand dollars a kilo of cocaine. I think it's gone down, you know, a lot now, um, but it you know at the time he 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 was the transportation part of it. So he was buying it for, you know, substantially amount less taking the risk with the transportation of it and then, you know, making his, his money on the back end. Did, were you guys able to just dis- to discover once he got the cocaine up to Jersey, do you know what he did with it? So he dealt with middlemen. So one of the middlemen that he dealt with was, was the one that, that, that cooperated at trial. Okay. So the middleman would would take the coke and deliver it to wherever, and then bring him back the money. And it would. I was going to say, if he had to fuel in Puerto Rico going down, he would have had to refuel in Puerto Rico coming mm-hmm. back, right? Mm-hmm. How was he? How was the cocaine not discovered through uh, just even a dog? I mean, you you figure you got that much coke in the plane at some point, a dog would have hit on it. That's if a dog was at the airport. So you know, there was. I, I don't want to say thousands of planes. I, I never stepped foot in Puerto Rico for any part of the investigation. Okay. But my So he's just basically getting lost in the noise, right? Yeah. He's just one of thousands of planes coming mm-hmm. in. Yeah. But after that piece of it, there was concealment stuff that came out. Like he, he was able he had, you know, placed one hundred and fifty thousand dollars in a certain part of the plane that, you know, now I think okay, now you're seeing 620,000 going to Guyana. The thought is it was drugs. Now Guyana is now, and it, it was, it was starting to be a hub. You know, our guy had a lot of political connections. We learned that he flew the president of Guyana around on his private plane and took him to different islands. And and he, you know, he touted that he knew the Ministry of Defense and, and all these different people. And he, like I said, he was able to build the hangar on state property, um, but what had actually happened was after he was arrested, going into the next election, we learned that a new um, a new party came into power and they ran on the, co- the corruption platform, the anti-corruption platform. So, you know, a- a- again, being an investigator in New Jersey and all of those different ties back into Guyana, again, I never stepped foot into Guyana, but now is the time to, to, to talk about the different attaches that are available to you in, in, in federal work. You know, IRS has, has attaches that do oversee Guyana. And there was, there was a response from the IRS attaches to get involved in that. They do have a a wide reach across the world as does DEA. 
Murph, you know that that, that there is you know a, a network out there that does support the agents that are working, you know, in in the various states, and it's it's impressive when when you get a, a chance to see that. I was in a couple foreign countries uh, where we ran into the league apps, uh, the legal attache. So you had the FBI's got a presence in a lot of countries to help facilitate investigations, ran into DEA guys. Like you say, it's, it's always good because they don't really have official power, but they're really to help coordinate between requests from U.S. law enforcement and the host country. And you would need a lot of times a mutual legal assistance treaty in MLAT because some countries just absolutely do not cooperate, you know, in investigations. Um, so it makes it very difficult. But let's 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 not get too far off of that point first, because I want to talk about that. Um, this guy, Steve, you had the you, you pulled up the press release from DOJ, right, on this guy's arrest and stuff. I was just talking about a is uh, Passaic County, New Jersey man sentenced to 156 months in prison for trafficking hundreds of kilos of coke into Jersey and New York, laundering 10.2 million in cash. Which that's just the amount you could prove, right, Keith? Right, that, and that was that was the cash that you know we we had going through the banks, going through the third party accounts. What he paid the contractor to build the hangar. Um, you know, we had unindicted co-conspirators that were involved, including, you know. Was one of those the president no. of a country named Guyana? No. no, he had family members that, that you know, moved money and paid assets for him. So would you would you ha- would you hazard a guess at ten million dollars? Do you think that was ten percent of what he had done or two percent or I would guess there was more. I mean, and, you know, he, he he had you know he had property in Guyana. Um he had uh, I would he, he was that forfeited? No. Uh, did the Guyana authorities do anything that, with that? Not that I'm aware of. I didn't. Not that I'm There's aware nothing of. in the press release about that. And talk about unindicted co-conspirators for a second, too, because you have people who are indicted, then they also what they call unindicted. What what makes the difference between somebody you take to trial and somebody that is, quote, an unindicted co-conspirator? Well, so so in this case, there was family members that had bank accounts that money had moved through. And whether or not we could have indicted them, it, the the decision was to not, not indict them, um, and you know it was. That's just how how this case played. Yeah, out. a lot of times with with the peripheral players like that, you have to prove knowledge and intent. You know, knowledge that there was a crime and intent to commit that crime, and that that becomes a real challenge unless you've got somebody that's a, a good snitch, somebody working on the inside. Or uh, it sounds like this guy was leaving a paper trail that, you know, a blind guy could follow. <laughs> Thanks. Don't need a highly trained investigator. We just need a guy with a cane and a red tip and just bounce over a couple currency transaction no, reports. There, there was. There was an extensive paper trail. And, and, and you know, that, that was, you know, a piece. Was, was he ever contacted? Was that the first time he had been um, targeted, or did you did you when you look back, had he been on somebody else's radar during this time? You know, before because he obviously didn't start three years before that, right? I mean, he was probably been doing this for a while. Well, he he got into the airplane business um, shortly before that, and there was some some uh, you know, I guess he had flown down to Guyana and the, the you know what is what is a private plane flying down to Guyana so many times, you know doing this um so i don't know if he was on anybody's radar before um but it was you know it it, it definitely you know raised a, a red flag with us with, with with me well it's like you said if he's not filing uh the flight plans under the 130 rule 135 which would be income producing where's the money coming from 
so so what he had did was is is he would fly the, what we had learned through the interviews is he was flying contractors so he might have flown 15 20 different contractors down to Guyana to work on this hangar mm-hmm. and at the time if you look up a, a flight to to Guyana from JFK it could be 500 bucks but he would fly these contractors down on his plane and it would cost $40,000 to fly there and back so it made no sense why wouldn't you just put these contractors on a, a commercial flight well me thinking about it if there was ever an issue where something was found i would maybe blame the contractor and say well that's that's not mine i don't know i don't know where that came from but you know that never came out when when he was stopped at the border he was stopped with a family member and, and a pilot so i don't think he had that ability to kind of say no the cash the cash is mine not quite as smart as he thought he was when they stopped him at the border, you said, let's talk about that 620 in cash, too. Well, we're going to tie some things up together. Was that uh, – you said that there were some traps, some concealment in the plane. Was that what it was? Was that thing concealed in a hidden compartment in the plane? No, not not like not like I thought it would be. It was in a suitcase. Like a majority of it was in one suitcase, but it was wrapped in, in a way that was, you know, typically, you know, banded in, in $10,000 blocks. Um a lot of twenties. That was that was another thing that came up is when we were going to trial, we wanted we wanted through the grand jury, we wanted to know how much of the cash did he move? What was what was the increments? What was what was it? And we found out that a majority of the cash that he deposited was all twenties. And that just speaks volumes that it's you know, it's street money that has been converted. Yeah, because people don't realize too, when we had George Young on the podcast, he would he would know how much a million dollars weighed, but a million dollars in one hundreds is one fifth the size of a million dollars in twenties. So you've just increased your weight, you know, five times, right? So somebody who's doing stuff in twenties has just made a, he's given himself a logistics problem as opposed to transporting one hundreds. And that was the great thing about a lot of the stuff is that's the way it came in. You couldn't really go down to a bank and say, Hey, I'd like to exchange my hundred thousand dollars in twenties, you know, for one hundreds. Right. Cause that would trigger obviously some kind of a report. Hey, but speaking to that real quick, would, are there certain countries, for example, like Guyana or other places to where transactions from their banks would trigger something in the U.S.? I mean, was there some way that these things, whether it went through um, the SWIFT system, you know, the international banking system, or other words, would there be international transactions that would trigger things back in the United States to where you'd get an inkling, hey, something connected to Guyana and the United States is going on? I think a majority of the funds, if he brought them down there, stayed down there and, and okay. got reinvested into the economy down there. But I didn't. I didn't. So everything we're talking about here were basically uh, the the things that were reported came from U.S. banks doing the reporting. Well, so that brings up another question: Was he? He? I'm guessing he had a company address in the U.S., which would require him to file tax returns. So that so that's that's a that's a big thing with within my task force. I'd never reviewed tax returns unless we had what they call an ex parte order, which is signed by a judge. Um, to 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 see a tax return within the IRS is like an act of God, believe it or not. Like they there are very specific oh, yeah. rules that they follow, and I didn't I didn't look at tax returns um, in a fashion that many people think. Oh, you're the IRS, you can just look it up. But you know, on a, on a, a money laundering task force, we don't we don't look at tax returns as 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 a normal case. Like I don't I don't have the ability to investigate tax crimes. Uh, you know, at the IRS. 
But that was, so if you were working a multi-agency investigation, regardless of where, you always wanted an IRS agent assigned, especially in OCDF case. Yeah, yeah. Because they could look at that stuff. Yeah, but uh, my, my famous line is, is I don't really even work here, you know, from, from Seinfeld. Like, I, I, that was George so, Costanza, I don't really I don't work know. here. I'm in the, I've got the Penske file and I have the corner office, you know. <laughs> that, that was Kramer. That was Kramer. Well, these reports mean absolutely nothing. I, I don't really work here. <laughs> Hey, but um, but speaking of that though, let's because you know everybody's we've all worked you know cases with the IRS and they do get some good information. But from your standpoint, I'm not trying to create a percentage, but I mean, but it sounds like you, you were you in a sense treated as the case agent or the lead agent. Is that the way? Yeah, I I, I was the amount of work that was being done, and I was the only IRS. You know, I was the only person from IRS that testified in the trial, so I was designated the the lead case agent by the by the AUSAs. Um, and you know, I, I, I started it and, and with now, let me name drop another one. When Steve Helmstetter retired, there was an agent, Mike McGarry, who I work with, and he was now overseeing the task force. And it was Mike McGarry that helped me get this case across the finish line. Like he did all of the heavy lifting with, you know, additional, uh, you know, search warrants or um, trial prep or, you know, getting getting things organized. Well, let's not gloss over that because I know from talking with Murph, we've had other guests on, you know, sometimes the trial and the trial prep and the, that phase of it takes longer sometimes than the investigation. Yeah, did it, was, it was. As you're going through this. It so was brutal. Tell us about know? how brutal that was. I mean, it's it's necessary, right? But how brutal is it compared to what you did at a at a local level in terms of cases you work there? Yeah, no, th this was, this was by far, the, it was exhausting. It was, it was 20 hour days. The, the, the night before I testified, I was up with the AUSA until, you know, 430 in the morning, um, going through things and, and, you know, to turn around and get up at seven then and, and get on the stands and, and talk about, you know, detailed financial records. It was, yeah, it, it was a process, but, you know, you, you have to go through and, and, you know, you, you have your interviews and, you know, people are telling you one thing, and then if they're going on to the stand, you want to make sure that they're telling you the, the same thing. And then, then it's, you know, it's going through and, 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 and make sure, making sure you have, you know, the, the story down pat and, and you know, you're, you're you're not steering their testimony, but you want what they know out of them. And, and, make, and it, make it sure it's consistent right, with what they said right, to you before in right. their interviews. No, I was going to say, and then, and then you have cooperators involved in this and, and there's a reason why they're cooperating and, and you just want the truth out of them. Like they're, you know, that, that is, the, you know, a big piece of it too. So it's, it's, it, it, you know, we, I forget how many people we had testified, but like I said, it was, it was a, it was a, um, a two week trial and, you know, we had, you know, managers and bookkeepers and construction of people. And yeah, it, it was, it was, it was a process. Let's not talk about people. Let's talk about boxes. How many boxes did you have to wheel <laughs> into the courtroom? Yeah, that well, and that, and, and like I said, this was my first time at, at trial and all of the exhibits that were introduced and, you know, reviewing the, the, uh, the transcripts and, and labeling exhibits. And yeah, I mean, it was, it was, you know, telling a story in front of a jury to make it to make it and, and this it's a financial case so it, it's difficult to tell that story in a way that you know, you're not going to put people to sleep too and when you can when you can show video or you have you know um 
the cash just does it. It makes it that much more sexy when when you're when you're talking about that level of cash that that was moved. I mean, that's you know a lot. How of many people... boxes though did you bring into the courtroom though? How many? I mean. <sighs> We we did we had, we it, it was every day was a different you know a new series of boxes right so yeah there was it was it was a lot and we did the, the the case was out of Trenton which was you know it was a it was south of us which we all had to stay in a hotel we all had to use you know a, a different office that we weren't accustomed to so everything traveled with us yeah it was it was, it was a process and some of us stayed at different hotels so then we had to travel to the hotels at night and yeah. Were you the investigator that sat at the prosecutor's table during the trial? Um, yes. Yeah, it was myself and and Mike McGarry. We sat we sat behind. We were in like the no. Actually, I wasn't at the table until that day. We sat right behind the bullpen. That's a, which means you got to pay attention. Oh yeah, you know, that's the tough yeah. part. <laughs> Everything. How long was the jury out? Not long. Not long. It was it was pretty quick. I didn't think so. No, it was pretty quick. <laughs> and that's just appropriate for somebody that thinks they're going to, oh, I'll show you guys. I'm going to trial. Well, yeah. step on up here, Skippy. We got something <laughs> special for you. I love those trials where it takes longer to elect the foreperson of the jury than it does to come yeah. to a verdict. It's like, oh, we, we knew he was guilty. We just had to figure out the paperwork, you know, to turn this in. Well, sometimes they drag it on because they got to fix coffee and, you know, there's probably some Danish or something there and they drag it out just a little bit. Yeah, they want a little bit of freebie. So, but hey, um, but but from the time so this thing started in 2011 it took till you said 2019 till you actually you said the appeal came through in 2020 run it was denied right no 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 they affirmed they affirmed his conviction i mean affirmed yeah. right that's what i'm saying they affirmed his conviction he whatever appeal he had everything was denied so his con- so this thing this is a 10 year process is it is it finally over so there's still assets that are that are forfeited um but or i'm sorry that are encumbered but not forfeited um so there's why uh it's just the the semantics of it um you know there's there's hangers there's planes there's cars and there's bank accounts do you get any kind of a financial interest in another country like anything in guyana is there anything the u.s can do with property that was purchased down there with assets or money that came from u.s banks or these the you know, the conspiracy in the United States. So I didn't, I didn't have any of those angles. Um, and there was nothing that I could prove, uh, through, you know, through our channels. So whatever, whatever, if they decided to, to act on it, I'm not, I'm not aware of it. There's, you know, various press releases of different things they did, but I don't know if, if anything was ever acted on it. How much stuff is still left in the U S to seize? Uh, nothing left to seize. Um, just to, to, to just to process yeah, it. Just I mean, process, yeah. right. How much do you think is left? planes cash buildings uh well we've like different things that were valued probably i don't know six million but again we seize things in you know between 14 and and going up to trials you know you have different assets and this is with anything there's a depreciation to it so you know who knows what happens there's expenses to maintain it there's you know there's a whole nine yards so the, the the end game is is that you took the ill-gotten gains away from the actor. That's the ultimate process of this whole thing is take that and then I let you know the courts and all that stuff settle that stuff on 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 one on their own. And look, I'm looking at the press release here, and they're showing that uh, he was ordered to forfeit interest in two jet planes, two airplane hangars, multiple properties, a Lexus SUV. Uh, among other properties traceable to his crimes, and he was also ordered, or uh, they entered a money judgment against him for $9.3 million. 
when it came to sentencing. So I doubt he's got, uh, he might have a clear one pair of clean underwear left. That might be about all. Yeah. Issued, issued by a federal correction center yeah, somewhere, it's FCI. It's orange. Yeah. It's orange. <laughs> orange. Hey, well, Keith, well, we want to, let's build from this because there was one other interesting thing we wanted to talk to you about too, because something that big that's obviously been going on, and, and I don't know if it's tied into it, but we want you to talk about it too. But obviously, you know, we've been talking about the issues of fentanyl coming across the border, about how now the precursors are coming in from China. Uh, the cartels now are manufacturing these things. So money has to be going back and forth between China and Mexico and the U.S. and things like that. And I'm concerned just because of just from a national security standpoint about what's going on, how they're avoiding it, because you've you huge country, what, 1.3 billion people, the number of banks they have, the number of different ways they have to hide stuff. You wanted to talk or we put a tag in there about let's talk about Chinese money laundering. So let's talk about Chinese money laundering. What should we know about it? I mean, what is get, kind of give us the landscape? So, you know, typically when when you saw the normal money launderers, um, they would charge a, a ten to twelve percent vig to launder money. Uh, that was offered to this other guy, and he decided he wanted to do it on his own. Right. So you can see where that that led him. The biggest piece of of money laundering now that I see that you know. So again, I left Marstown. I left to go back to Marstown in two thousand nineteen. And then I came back, and I'm now part-time with um, IRS and, and DEA. And one of the cases that I jumped on early when I was trying to teach um, the new agent, the, the new officer that's at DEA, I was teaching him a little bit about how I build cases. And we stumbled upon, you know, a, a case that, that you know, was, was, was Chinese money laundering. And again, now learning all of this stuff, and I'm going to name drop him. His name is Scott Pino. He's he's aces. Um, so in before terms you of, get into the rest of the thing, you just kind of gloss over. You say, "Well, we stumbled onto this case. Define what stumbling onto this case means." <laughs> That's like saying, "Yeah," and then we climb Mount Everest. Okay, how did you? How the fuck did you get to Mount Everest to begin with? So, what does stumbling on mean? So, so all of my cases have revolved around cash, right? Like the movement of cash. So. We are, you know, we're researching different leads that have come come across us, our, our table, you know, that that we are getting through through the DEA. And I would show him like so in the meantime, I've worked a couple of different cases, um, you know, one of which is is going to be coming to light in probably the next six months. Um, that is a very big case that I worked with uh, some very good agents on. That's the case that I came back the case specific within um within DEA that there was you know extraditions and and um you know big big money movement uh tied to the purchase of cashier's checks so cashier's checks is obviously a great way to to move money you're moving bulk cash into a cashier's check and now it's moving so how i was developing cases led me into into the chinese money laundering piece of it. And let me just back up and explain, you know, what's happening, you know, from from what I see. And, and this is a very, you know, 40,000 foot view is there are capital flight laws um, coming out of China, meaning a wealthy person in China can't just move their money out of China. Um, there are, you know, $50,000. Like Ma, billionaire, you know, Alibaba and stuff. They're trying to keep all the money in the country, aren't they? Right. So there are currency restriction laws. And so what they do around that is, is they will use different professional money service businesses and they will, they will 
move money in a way that never leaves China or leaves China in a different way. And there's mirrored transactions that happen in the United States. So let's say, you know, John Smith in China wants to move money to a family member. The money coming out of China is not going directly to the family member. It's being paid off through some other type of money broker. So the money broker in the United States might go to a cash intensive organization such as, you know, a, 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 a DTO, a drug, a drug organization and say, I will help you move your money, but I need your money more than almost I need to move it. So I will do it for less of a percentage. Then the money goes to another money broker in the United States. And then that money broker is told where to pay out that family. So the currency in the United States is then converted in a way that could be moved. And then it goes off into payoff John Smith's relatives from China. And then the money broker then tells the Chinese money broker, let's say, you know, we're going to ship televisions or whatever genes from China down to wherever it's going to go. And so now there's mirror transaction happens and it's, you know, with, with China, obviously it's, you know, it, it's very hard to get any information and, and you're just speculating, but from the, the piece I see is the cash movement in the United States. Man, how, how, um, so what can you do with it? What are you doing with it? So now, now that you're working on this, what kind of things do you think it is supporting from or the proceeds of? So I, right now I'm working with, you know, um, various attorneys within the, in, in the district in New Jersey, and I'm going to name drop another one, Mark Pesci. Uh, we call him Marco. He is, he's a, a, a young attorney who's, you know, very aggressive and, and we've, He's now overseeing the task force from the DOJ's perspective in New Jersey. And we are, you know, we're working through a series of, of cases that, you know, obviously I, I can't get into, but it's, um, you know, there's there's been a lot of, you know, movement and, um, you know, it, it's it's very it's very involved. Dang. Um well, let's see. Where do we go? We can't be <laughs> so, 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 being so, so very non-specific about it. <laughs> but so there's there's a there's a term, you know, a professional money money uh, money launderer, and the, the you know I talked about the SUA and money laundering, and and Steve, you brought up the knowledge when you can segregate the knowledge from the cash, and now it's harder to prove the money laundering piece of it. You know, so so. Building, building, trying to get into that knowledge is is a lot different because it's so segregated now. So now it's you got to go back to the old school ways of, of of looking at the movement of cash, and 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 then working into that. So with the Chinese, are, and you mentioned bulk cash, and I was reading another article here. I was trying to catch up with what you were saying. Do they want the bulk U.S. dollars in China, or they want those laundered and then just electronically transferred? Well, no. So, so they want to get their money out of China, right? So, it, you know, for whatever reason, you know, you can speculate all you want, whatever reason it could be, um, you know, the Chinese government could come in and take your money or corruption or whatever. They want to get their money out of China and they want to invest into the United States. So there was a recent article from one of the senators that talked about 
you know, the Chinese buying up farmland, and that seemed to be, you know, a, a big Very concern. Very close to some defense installations that just happened to give them a clear view of, uh, like, sensitive nuclear sites we have right. as well. So, so I, don't, I don't know any of that part of that. I can neither confirm nor deny, Senator. Yes. No, but 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 that 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 is something that that you know is a concern, and and you know th- there's there's you know a lot of different things that that are happening, and and I don't mean to seem cagey. I just don't want to, you know. Uh, there's a lot of ongoing investigations that I I, I can't speak of. So, um, you know that there's there's a um, there was a recent Senate. Uh, meeting about about banking where they they talked of, of one of the cases you know where where we had a um, you know it was, it was 650 million dollars um we just had a recent plea of so there there's like a lot of a lot of movement in in, in that so it, it's uh, we're looking at it. I, I you know i don't know really what else to say about it but it, it's 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 out there and the the chinese have an ability to undermine the tr- traditional money laundering because there's a there's a need for the cash um and if anything it's okay what's happening with this cash and 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 that's you know what this what, sounds like this this sounds like what they've done in certain islamic countries it's called a hawala mm-hmm. are you familiar you just, with hawala read my mind yeah. that's the question i was going to yeah. ask yeah, that's what i was going to say it's just basically what it does is money never leaves but a but a transaction or basically it's a chit or something that says hey you're entitled to this much money in another place now the money never leaves but then it appears somewhere else and like you say the vig is taken out of it somehow these guys obviously make money but yeah the money never leaves so you don't have to repatriate it but it it is that is one of the that was one of the biggest threats i know after 911 some of the biggest cases out here, you got the Holy Land Foundation in 2005, huge money laundering case down in Houston. You've got right after 9-11, they raided a couple charities out here for money laundering. Money was going back. I mean, people sometimes, I think, look at this and they go, oh, I'd rather have SEAL Team 6 command or a SWAT Team command, not realizing, guys, money makes the world go round. You know, you want to go after something, follow the money, take out their means of support, their means of logistics, and you can do, like Steve said, not only can you hurt their feelings and take their toys, but you can cripple an organization by removing their ability to get and use and move funds. Yeah, and and then you add a whole other level that's the trade-based money laundering. So if you take something of value and you're you're moving your money in a way that is, you know, let's take cell phones for instance. You're buying cell phones and then shipping the cell phones to another another country, and then they're being sold. Well, you just laundered your money through the 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 purchase and selling of cell phones, and then that could happen with cars, or it could happen with, with with anything. There was a big case out of Los Angeles with the the fashion district out there, and you know there there's <laughs> there's a number of ways to to to, to move money um, and and to launder money, and it's just you know, what's one of the most creative ways you've oh seen or you've heard? Of? I actually said this to my to, to Helmstetter when when I first started. I love to get you know five senior agents in a room and and teach me and show me what's the best way to to move money and you know the, with with the advent of all of these electronic you know means of payment and and P two P transfers and Venmo and PayPal and you know all of these ways. I mean, it, it's it's harder and harder to 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 track. And it's, like I said, it's not just cash. And, th- and then you add the whole crypto piece of it. Um, yeah, it's- Bitcoin, Ethereum to where you can now settle transactions in 10 minutes across the globe where it used to take, you know, a couple, three days. And, and you, you, we talked about the grand jury process, which is a so process to, to begin with. I mean, you could have moved money a million different ways 
between you know when i <laughs> between the grand jury piece of it so it's it's yeah it's it's difficult it's challenging but that's what makes it fun from my side of it Oh, so so um, what else should we know about the Chinese money laundering? Obviously, it's got the it's got the attention of the Senate, the Congress. Are there new rules? You think new laws that are going to come out that are going to help us with that? Uh, you know, they, they, uh, listen, they're always look, they're always looking at the different the different pieces of it. You know, and you hear about all the, the these, you know, these shell companies that are that are that are being used and beneficial owners and and stuff like that. Like so. I, I I think it's just the transparency part of of you know who who owns what and you know tying it back to like you know you talked we we briefly talked about Smurfs um, you know Smurfing is, is a big piece of that and that's you know obs- well, Smurfing is Murphy going down to the beach in his thong that's called Smurfing <laughs> that's called exciting that's called exciting that's what that is. But yeah, it, it's you know it's it's using people that that are that have no idea what it's going, and they're just getting a small piece of the pie, and 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 they're the low hanging fruit that we see, and 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 you know that the banks see, but there's you know different people on the back end that are that are you know moving the, the puppet strings, yeah, coordinating right. all of that. These guys don't know they don't just one Smurf doesn't know another Smurf. They just know they're taking money down. It was funny. My first quote money laundering case I ever did. I was just being foolish. You would wait until the uh, hotels and Dylan's or some of the food stores would throw out their Western union mm-hmm. receipts and because you couldn't go in and get them. But once you threw them in the trash, then you then you could take it right then and I just dumpster started putting diving. St- yeah dumpster diving dude I was wasn't above that for food for a break you know for uh, <laughs> these things <laughs> hey man I didn't get paid that much but I mean that was interesting too because then you know it's like you you'd start seeing patterns I was a music major and so I see things in patterns but you start seeing the same names going to the same places over and over again and you started seeing that five thousand here three thousand here I mean not huge money but by the time I got done. I actually sat in the basement of the little apartment we were living in. I actually had these Western Union things all over the wall and the floor and stuff. My wife's going, I can't vacuum with all this shit all over the floor here. (laughs) You know, when I was in Miami, we were following the Smurfs, you know, just because you're trying to build a financial case. And you'd wait till the end of the day and and almost every time they would take the trash out at the end, you know, it's in the evening. They've gone back to wherever they live and they'll take the trash out. Then you go in, you can find their list of of amounts that they deposit and what banks they were going to. Sometimes it was in code, so you might you'd have to work on trying to decode it. But I was also just looking up too. Remember the case uh, in 2007 where down in Mexico they seized it was uh, over 200 million dollars in cash from the Chinese businessman down there. And, and to going back to your explanation there, Keith, of how they're trying to keep the money out of China. I mean, the guy had 207. Was it two hundred seven million in U.S. dollars, eighteen million in pay, Mexican pesos, two hundred thousand euros? What the heck is he going to do with that money down in Mexico? He lost it all. Is what happened? But you know, uh, he obviously didn't want to move it back to China. Well, my understanding is is Mexico also beefed up their currency laws probably around that time. So, you know, there was probably more eyes on him trying to move move that money in in Mexico. Um, I, I'm just shocked that he nobody robbed him. That a gang didn't go in and take all that money. Yeah, back right. From well, him. that's 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 a whole other thing. You know, some of the cases that I've been been involved in, and and you know, people are just walking around with. It. Yeah, it's crazy. You're like, how how do they not realize what a target they are? But you know, the other thing that concerns me though, and this goes, but look, 
China is, we, we hear a lot about Russia. We hear obviously a lot about the cartels and stuff. But what worries me about China is their long-term plan for this. Back actually in 1996, there was a businessman by the name of Chung uh, in, in California. They had donated three, four hundred, five hundred thousand dollars, whatever, to the Democratic National Committee. I'm not picking on politicians. I am. I mean, politicians will take money. But the FBI traced this money back to the country of China. Going, I mean, you talk about money laundering. Now you've got the country, the communist, the Chinese Communist Party, sending money, and they've got a long term. See, the, here's the thing that concerns me about China: they think long term. We're thinking in election cycles, every two years, every four years, six years. They've been doing this for thirty years, forty years now. I mean, between actually, I'm looking at this right. Between 1904 and 1996, Chung donated three hundred sixty-six thousand dollars to the DNC. The FBI traced all of that back through the embassy to the country of China. They're not just money laundering. I mean, they're they're money laundering also to bribe, you know, to to do certain things over here too. So I just I don't know if I have a question there. I'm just making a point. Damn it, you know what? And, I'm, and I mean, it's, feel free to pile I'm, on. I'm shocked here because I'm doing a little research as we're talking here. Just Google Chinese money laundering and look at the the. It's a huge amount of cases there that have been prosecuted here in the United States. So if those are just the ones that are being found out, and I'm sure it's just scratching the surface. So it's just, it's running rampant. Take Chinese out of it. A lot of these money loaners are, are just looking to make a small piece of the pie, right? They're looking the other way. And, and it just so happens that there is a need to move money out of China. You know, they call it this RMB exchange. It's uh, um, the, the, the Chinese currency. They're just, they're just trading it. And it, it's just a... The, the 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 back feed is is ill-gotten gains from you know the drug organizations and they have a need to move it and so there's a, a, a um and and it's not you know there's there's other ways that are you know there could be tax evasion involved there could be a stockpile of money that is you know sitting there and somebody just wants to convert it and they're using this organization to do it but there's there's you know a, a majority of what we see involves this this RMB exchange this uh, you know the the Chinese currency needing to move out of China, and if there's a flow of money that moves, you know, from country to country and ultimately goes into China, well, we're not going to trace it, and then you're going to see it come out of China, and you you don't know what happened in between. You you can't tell that story. And yeah, you can't make that link. Let me ask you this: what's what's one of the things that may concern you? Because I I you know a while back I was looking investigating some stuff around cryptocurrency and who was doing what, and believe it or not, on Facebook at one point. Hamas and Hezbollah actually had Facebook pages up where they actually had the ability you could donate to jihad using Bitcoin cryptocurrency. Yeah, I, I, I don't have any experience in any experience with that. Um, what you mean, donating to uh, terrorist organizations <laughs> yeah, right, or investigating exactly. them? <laughs> I mean, you know, the way I understand it, you know, with, with anything with, with Bitcoin, it's the on and off ramp, right? So Bitcoin or some currency, you're ultimately going to want to, you know, convert it, move it. And then use it. So, what are the on and off ramps of 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 you know buying and, and selling the crypto? So, so, but the reason I ask that now that you've been on the inside, what what concerns you most about what's coming out? You know, is it is it like you say some of the tech, the cryptocurrencies? Is it the Venmos and the PayPal's and the ways that you can easily move money? What's going to be one of the biggest challenges to U.S. law enforcement to stop you know illegal money laundering? Stop because you know we just had uh, about three episodes ago. We had Natasha Hersig on here, who is a victim of human trafficking. There is a ton of money being made by the cartels right now 
in human trafficking and sex trafficking and stuff like that. And I'm looking at how's that money moving around? You know, so I'm kind of looking at if you're looking at your crystal ball, you know, where are some of the things that you think are going to cause some of the biggest issues for us to be able to get that visibility? into what's really happening out there. I th- the, well, obviously the speed of movement of money, right? You're, you can move money, uh, click of a button and, and it's, you know, it's, it's hard. And then what happens is, is gets commingled and moved into legitimate source and then comes back out. I mean, it, it's, it's the, the, the speed of the way it moves is, is alarming. But again, I focus the on and off ramp and then trying to tell the story as to, okay, what is this and why is it happening in this fashion? And then trying to climb the ladder. And then again, obviously there's multiple layers involved. And so it's working through the different layers. And, you know, I think traditionally, if I'm looking at the on-ramp, I might be getting the low hanging fruit and now trying to climb the ladder and whether or not it's, you know, there's a separation in there or somebody just doesn't know that that's that's a problem but that's where having all your different partners there is is you know I might see one thing and then be willing to reach out to law enforcement agents at in a totally different region and tell them listen I see something here what are you seeing and we are making the the connections that we might see then tell the story so I guess that's the problem and then the solution. And and we touched upon it very early on is, you know, being able to work across, you know, different jurisdictions and not saying this is my shiny object, nobody's touching it. You know, I, we have to be able to, to put our, you know, to, to work together. And, 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 and that's the success we're having is, is the relationships that, that, um, you know, I'm developing and the different groups are developing and, and being able to, to, to work with, you know, people in different parts of the state and seeing the little piece that they're seeing and then communicating that back to us and then us telling them, okay, well, this is a larger piece we're seeing and them saying, oh, well, that makes sense. And then just collaborating, you know, going forward. So I guess, you know, we talked about what the problem is, but that's the potential solution. And then also having aggressive, you know, AUSAs that are rolling up their sleeves. Like I, I can't speak highly enough of, of Marco and some of the other AUSAs that I'm working on with. It's it's just they're they're working themselves to 20 hours a day, and this is not even a trial. This is you know the number of cases that they're they're taking on. It's crazy. You mentioned uh, commingling of funds, so you've got your dirty money being transferred into legitimate, I guess, uh, bank accounts where there's, you know, legitimate money in those accounts. So now you can, you commingle your dirty money in with legitimate money. Why is that not feasible? Oh, it is. It is like, once you have the proofs that it's, that there's dirty money involved. Um, but can you see, can you seize the dirty money and legitimate money? The clean, they'll say the clean money just for terminology's sake. We, in my experience, I, I primarily just go after the dirty money. Um, but at the end of it, you talked about money judgments. That's where, you know, you can then have the money judgments over, you know, everything. So I, you know, in, in, in my experience, uh, we are just following the dirty money. 
Well, Mark, if you're asking that question, is there something you want to disclose on this podcast that we should know about the pool? You know what I mean? It's like, here's your finance and your move down to the beach. What, what do we got to know about? Hey, I'm just tickled to death because they're out here building a frame for this retaining wall. Just, they just showed up and then it stormed like for an hour and a half, but they're out there working. I can hear the hammers out there right now. <laughs> I got a solution to all your problems, Keith. If you want to be able to have more effective interagency cooperation, Make an arrest, put out a press release, and everybody was like, hey, we're looking at that guy too, right? We have, we've spent all this money on all these information systems, and yet what it takes is putting out a press release to say, we just arrested this mope, and you got five agencies beating down your door going, hey, we're looking at this guy too. Well, and, and that's what happened in the plane case. That's exactly what happened. He was arrested at the border, and all of a sudden, you know, there's, there's information out there, and they're like, no, that's our guy, and he gets indicted in the Western district in new york and we're like okay there there it goes we have the money loan learning side we're gonna package it up and you're gonna take it for your case and then it you know it then comes back down to new jersey and we're at trial so it you know yeah you will teach you we'll do a superseding indictment and we'll bring it all back to new jersey and get it for everything <laughs> But again, it's it's all the working it's relationships within yeah. with yeah exactly. Well, you just pointed out too. I'm just real quickly. You pointed out too. You can't afford to be pissing on everybody else's Cheerios because you're going to get into these big cases and you're going to find yourself on the outside looking in if you're the John Wayne type, always wanting to take over, you know, and be and be the tip of the spear on everything. Sometimes, sometimes you're the lead dog. Sometimes you're not. Yeah, you know, as investigators, we get sometimes we get a little overly protective of our little investigations, not realizing what the the huge benefit could be gained if you just deconflicted and shared your information and you know played nice in the sandbox. But when I was talking about the uh, commingling of funds, and this you know this was back when I was in Miami, late eighties, early nineties, when you're trying to build these cases, <clears throat> and you can identify you know through through dumpster dives or subpoenas, whatever, getting their account information. You want to seize those accounts. And one of the problems we were having back then was showing, you know, how can we prove the money in the account's all dirty versus, well, we we know that this 15, you know, $1.5 million is dirty that just went in his account, but there's $4 million in the account. You know, and, and what we were seeing back then was that the uh, courts were not uh, as sympathetic to us seizing those accounts when we couldn't prove all of it was dirty. Um, and then the other thing was it was taking so long to get a seizure warrant, you know, hell, they'd move that money in and out in, no mind, in just a matter of the day. Well, and, and also at the end of the, the last thing you want to do is take somebody's money who they believe is is legitimate and could be just a victim of, of another movement. You know, they think it's coming in from something else. Well, and I'll tell you, one of the dangers has been, too, you'll have a lot of these task forces working in interdiction and stuff. And the biggest threat to law enforcement is bad case law. It's people out there just over, you know, overhanging, uh, you know, the surfboard out there and seizing just everything simply because they can, as opposed to have you got the indicia as their facts and circumstances that shows you that these are ill-gotten gains. Not some poor migrant guy, maybe who's got eight thousand in cash or whatever, and that's his life savings, and he's moving somewhere. Bad case law is one of the biggest threats to cops, you know, as well as the criminal actors, and that's that's where I think one of the biggest areas for uh, improvement. I think, and I just say this as somebody who's been involved, you know, in the sides of it too. Is I just think that's one of the key things is using the judgment you talk about is. We just because we can seize it doesn't mean we ought to. We ought to look at: Do we have? Can we prove it? You know, is it really tied to something, or is it just some poor guy out here just caught up in a set of circumstances that's got fifteen grand on him? That's his. It's his life savings, and if you take it away from him, you know, and I know, his chances of getting that money back 
you got a better chance of seeing God trying to get through the federal system and get your money back. And 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 a majority of my cases that go through our, our judicial review. I mean, we we and that's the, the the benefit of being on a task force that is tied, you know, with with Department of Justice and IRSCI and and you know we we've had you know the attorneys involved in 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 the paperwork and in, in the judicial review. So. What do you mean by that? The judicial review? Are you, you, is that where the assistant U.S. attorneys and the judges review it before you actually do the seizure, as opposed to field stops? You know, where you're out in the field. You know, not to take away from the field stops, though. If for the talented interdict, we'll say interdiction officers, but any police officer that has done field seizures on a traffic stop, if you do it correctly, there's absolutely no problem. Well, and that comes down to your training and experience, and 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 the research you've done into, into the targets. Right. And that's, yeah, that's another part of it. Yep. You know, we had, when I was stationed in North, so when I came out of Columbia, I got stationed in Greensboro, North Carolina, and, and I was working a lot with the different agencies down there and especially the highway patrol. And there's a trooper down there, Tim Cardwell is still his lifelong friend, one of the best interdiction guys I've ever met in my life. And they were making so many interdictions on I-85 between Greensboro and Charlotte. I mean, they were kicking butt and taking names. And so, he would call me and I'd jump on the databases. They're calling EPIC, the El Paso Intelligence Center run by DEA, which has databases that you can get information. Um, and so the defense attorneys in North Carolina at the state level were researching how to defeat that because they would call us and say, give the money back. Well, I'm sorry, I'm a federal agent. You're a state attorney. You can't tell me to do that because state law cannot supersede federal law. So what they were doing is they were so let's say Morgan gets pulled over. He's got half a million dollars cash, ex exhibits all the signs, and there's probable cause to seize the money. He calls his attorney. His attorney would call a judge who would a state judge who would immediately issue an order to return that cash immediately, and the order would go to the trooper. Well, the trooper was calling me and saying, you know, here's our here's our uh, facts. You know, here's our circumstances. Will you authorize authorize seizure of this money? And I would do my checks real quick, and we do this as quick as we could because, you know, the defense attorney is talking to the judge. And once I said, yes, I adopt your case, then they no longer had to honor that judge's order. It got so bad that the troopers, even if I was off duty on a weekend or a night, would come to my house and turn over. And they had to, they had to convert the money into a financial instrument. I wouldn't take cash. But they would come to my house and deliver it to me so the judge couldn't say, you still have physical possession. Return it immediately. Oh, sorry, we already turned it over to a DEA agent. <laughs> well, where do troopers go to launder that much money in the middle of the night and give you a financial instrument you're willing to accept, Murph? You know, was, actually, most of them were on between Monday through Friday because I think I think that, you know, the transporter, the bulk cash transporters thinks that, well, you know, they're not going to suspect us doing out here in broad daylight. Uh, it just worked out. It was it was fantastic. Plus, the but banks we, are open Monday through Friday too. So yeah, and you piss off a lot of judges when you do that too. But hey, it was they were state level when we were fed. So, so there you go, nana nana boo boo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You've never heard that before, have you, Keith? I'm a fed. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I've heard um, that. <laughs> hey, brother, Keith, you probably don't know this, but I was a local cop for almost 12 years before I became a fed. I know what you're talking no, I, about. No, I, I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we love all of them. Say, but let's talk real quick too about um, what you're doing now. So, 
you are a man who obviously doesn't like to be at home or see his wife or kids because you've got four different jobs now that you're doing. Was it accreditation manager working with IRS and DEA? When do you go home? Do you just have a bed there in the the PD? No, no, I, I, I definitely, I definitely have it good, but it's, uh, so it's, it's funny. Like I'm staring at you through my Marstown computer and then behind me is my IRS terminal. So I swivel back and forth. And then when my doors open, <laughs> they can kind of tell, okay, he's working Marstown stuff. He's working IRS stuff. Yeah, he's doing DEA stuff. If, if, if Depending on where my back is to the door. Hey, I just got to gotta point out a mistake on that IRS tax return of mine that you pulled up back there, man. <laughs> I didn't make that much money last year. <laughs> I don't have tax returns back there. <laughs> but no, so, so I, you know, with accreditation, I, that is a, a full-time job within itself but i again i have to rely on everybody in the agency here to get me the different pieces that they're involved in and to show that to get me the proofs that show that we're following our policies and procedures here and you know to make sure that our written directives are up to speed and and again that is that is me reaching out to other people in this agency for help and then i go back and 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 you know i'm i'm constantly you know, looking at Marsan emails and going back to to the IRS and, and DEA emails and and trying to juggle it it, it works. I, I, I'm 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 happy to be doing it. I you know I have aspirations after after this job. And you know I was told by one of the AUSAs when he says if you want to stay in this, just you know keep your foot in the door and keep keep learning the new trends and. And, uh, what are your aspirations when you say after this? How much long? How much time do you have in? How long do you have to spend before you can uh, punch out? So uh, within New Jersey, a typical cop will do twenty five years, um, and then they recently passed a burnout provision. Um, it, it's been on the books, but now it's kind of like it, it's in limbo, um, where it's twenty and out, and that will all depend on 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 your, your what your pension will be. Um, but so you know, I. I I've always been told to keep my options open, and that's exactly what I do. I, I I love the police job. I love doing doing the casework, um, but I'm just gonna always keep my options open. And whether it be, you know, a contracting job or or a bank job or you know something that involves the movement of money, I, th- I think that's you know will probably be in my future after after Mars. Oh, you you'll. You, I was going to say you're going to be in high demand. If you, you've probably heard of Association of Certified Fraud Examiners, ACFE, and all the different organizations. You get those certifications in your accounting background. Yeah, ACAM, CFE. It's it's all stuff that I've that I've I've looked into to doing, but finding the time to to get it done is 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 a yeah. whole other whole nother beast eventually. Well, I, I got I got something that'll help you, some career advice. You, no is a complete sentence. When somebody says, hey, we want you to do this now, you can just, you're a lieutenant now, you can say no. <laughs> yeah. That's never, I, I always try not to say that. I always try and and, 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 and take on whatever yeah. challenges come and my way. That's so what good officers do. A, so in New Jersey at 25, when you get 25 and out, is that it? Do you get your full amount of the pension or do you have to, does it graduate uh so we're 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 in we're in a defined plan. So there's a certain percentage depending on when you, uh, when you came on in 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 the like, yeah, I've been on for almost twenty years. So my defined plan might be different some that somebody came on five years ago. Um, so so there has been some changes and and um, so 
yeah, but now with <laughs> inflation and all that other stuff, you, you never know where you're going to be with the defined plan. So, um, I got some friends now with the way the stock market went, they got to be dead seven years before they can officially <laughs> retire. You know, it's just the, but it, everything's taking a hit. I knew what I signed up for when I, when I got involved in this. Like, you know, I was, I was, you know, on, on the right path in, in the financial industry. And, and I said, you know what, I'm taking a, I'm taking a step back and I want to get involved in law enforcement. And I was fortunate that, you know, my career went to where I, I, I am now because I ultimately wanted to do financial investigations, white collar crime in the FBI. And I'm now doing it full circle, but with IRS criminal investigation, which to be honest, I didn't even know it was, was an option when I was going through school. It just never, never came across my, my, um, you, you know, my course of, of looking at a career. And Isn't I it could, amazing once you start getting into this stuff, the number of other federal agencies there are you've either never heard of or divisions or databases or things? I never heard I never knew the FBI had an art theft database. So I was doing work down at Department of an art theft database, yeah. <laughs> the big paintings and everything go into an art theft database, you know? I was like, gosh, those agents would have it easy. They got their wine, they sip around, you know, a little bit of brie and they're talking about which paintings are going for what, you know. It's a cushy life. Everybody they, they has their for the money. Everybody has yeah. their niche, right? And you did, and the financial stuff served you well. So you did obviously didn't do the job for the money, but the, your involvement with money has made a huge difference. You know, and we, I just want to tell you too, man, s- salute uh, for doing that stuff because I I can tell you personally, being here in Washington D.C. area, nine eleven, Murph and I have talked about this. When you walk across, you see the Pentagon burning, you see this stuff going on. You guys had it really bad, obviously in New York, but you realize too is that it's not the sexiest thing, like you say, when you go to court and you're showing a bunch of documents. But people really need to understand how important it is to take out them, take out the bad guys and girls at the knees by taking away their toys, taking away their money, and make it impossible for them to do their business because they can't they can't move money, they can't get money, they can't you know do anything with it. So I mean, for us, just from as a tax paying citizen, first of all, thank you for being revenue positive in your position, <laughs> like the EA. That's what I was, I was trying to do. But I, listen, I, I'm. I surround myself with good people. I've been very fortunate with that. And and I tried to drop a lot of names because there was a lot of people involved in, in, in my career to get me to where I'm at. And, and, you know, even the support of, you know, my chief here, Darnell Richardson, it's, it, it's, you know, it, it's, it's great. And, and, you know, I've been, like I said, I've been very fortunate to, to be around hardworking, smart people. Um, and, and, you know, I'd be remiss if I didn't bring up, you know, who I'm working with now, you know, Carlin Nastasi, who reached out to Murph originally, he's, he's the original, you know, fan of the show and said, I think this would be amazing that if you, you'd be on there and, and pitched me to you guys, he's who I now work with. I brought up Steve Helmstead or Mike McGarry. Now it's Carlin Nastasi and, and, and he's, he's, you know, a, a a hard worker and takes on a lot of pieces and, and is not a no guy. And then, you know, we, we have a financial analyst, Linda Massessa, who's a retired agent, a uh, special supervisor. She's a retired supervisor. She did her stint in, in private industry and came back as a financial analyst. And, and sh- she's gold in terms of, you know, her knowledge and experience. And, and so, you know, that's, that's the current team that, that we're, I'm working on or working with and then you know with the different groups you know i'm working with group 3 in in DEA on, as case specific and these guys are are great and they they profess that they're not financial guys they're hard-nosed drug and street guys and it's it's fun when they come and ask questions and want to learn about 
you know, doing the financials and, and listen, you're going to sell drugs to make money. And that's just what, what the nature of the, the beast is. And the money part always kind of gets forgotten, but it's, it's, it, if you know what you're doing, you know what you're looking, looking for, it's, you know, and it brings you to the top level people, you know, you, you sell a kilo of cocaine and you're the middleman, you might be getting 500 to a thousand dollars. But if you're the, if you're the head guy, you're, you're making some good money and you got to park it somewhere. So that's, you know, so, so those guys in group three have been, have been great to me. And you know, the DEA, although I don't sit down there, I get down there a lot and there's, there's a lot of support there, you know, for, for this type of stuff. And, and the various groups that I've come across, like they, they've, you know, I, I haven't had a, really bad experience you know working you know in in this in this realm and it's partly because of the the people that i've i've been around and i've had a chance to work with and and uh it it really has been i don't want it to end like i I really enjoyed doing it i was devastated when when the town brought me back but i kept my foot in the door and 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 now i'm back doing a part-time and and you know, killing two birds with one stone with accreditation and, and trying to make my mark here. And, you know, I was gone for some time. So, you know, the, the guys and girls here, uh, you know, I'm still getting to know a lot of the younger people. And and, and uh, so, you know, it's good. It, it, the law enforcement profession has gotten a really bad rap over the last few years. And, and you would hate to see people turn away from it um, because there's a need for it. And, and, you know, at some point you hope that the rhetoric turns around and, and people are excited to get, to get hired back into this and, and to do this job because it, it is, it's important. And, uh, you know, I, I just, like I said, I've been very fortunate in, in, in my career and <laughs> my dad asked me, why do you want to do this? And, and I didn't really have to answer until he saw my body language with why I wanted to do it. Like this is, this is a calling. And, uh, and like I said, I've, I've been very fortunate with, with the opportunities I've had and, 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 uh, the people I've worked You're with. You're right. It, it's not for everybody. Um, and, and I'm glad you mentioned Carlo cause, uh, and a big shout out to him for, for contacting us and telling us about you. He was so complimentary of you, both in his original message to me and then talking to him on the phone, uh, when we were trying to find out more about you and get your contact information and everything. And he's, but I got to tell you, it was close, man. When we got your college transcript <laughs> and we saw your grades, we said, I don't know if we can have him on. Man. Oh, I can tell you a story. I took, I took one class pass fail and I failed it because I didn't read, I didn't read the second side of the syllabus. <laughs> uh, so I had to go back to the teacher. No, I, I did, I did, I did fairly well in college. No, and, well, and that's the cool thing about having you on here is you're the only second. I know you're not an IRS agent, but related to IRS that we've had on the on the series here. And this is, you know, we're over sixty episodes out there now. We had Jeff Sandy on, who was an IRS agent in West Virginia. Yeah, fantastic yeah, stories. Very impressive. Uh, and, yeah. and if you listen to his story, you heard me say I never worked with any IRS guys. Well, I did, but. The group that was assigned to my office when I had the strike force in Atlanta, you know, those guys weren't so much going out in the field like Jeff was and, and sounds like some of the guys that you work with. So guys and gals. So, Well, here's the thing. Like anywhere you come across in any profession, you're going to have your, your dead wood. But, you know, within IRS, the, the people that I've worked with and come across, they are, you know, they're, they're aces and, and it, it, it does, it speaks volume for the, I know whenever you hear IRS, you're like, oh my God, what, but the knowledge and experience and, and, you know, what criminal investigation brings to the table, it's, 
it really is impressive. And 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 you brought up the OSADEF cases. I think any 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 agent that brings an OSADEF case um, wants an IRS agent on their case to just give them a different angle um, to look at and to to bring you know different leads to the table. I mean, it really is. It, it's it's impressive to watch and to hear the various stories and cases that have come up over the years, you know, through the agency and, 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 you know, they, they, they gave me the blessing to do this and, and, uh, you know, I'd be remiss if I couldn't, you know, thank them for, for giving me the opportunity and letting me do it for so long. You know, I, I've been doing this for, you know, since 2010 and, you know, with the little hiatus, I, I, I've been, you know, fortunate to work very good cases and, and you know, every case you think is going to be your career case, but, I thought the plane case was going to be a career case, but now the stuff that I'm seeing and doing, even just at a part-time basis is, is really in, incredible. And, you know, it's, it's, it's fun to be a you're, part of. You're being very humble on here, Keith, and we don't accept that crap. I we try don't accept to be. that crap. So I try. Well, listen, I still, I still have many more years in my career, so I don't want to piss anybody off, but being humble is one of my greatest strengths. I always tell people. Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> No, but it's it's obvious it's obvious from what Carlo told us and the research we've done on you and the cases you've explained and the, your expertise in the field of money laundering. It's obvious that that you're a pro at what you do. Um, and thank you so much for coming on the show, man. It's it's been an honor and a pleasure to oh, have thanks you. Thanks for here. having me. And if I ever decide to launder money, I'm going to just give you a call. But I'm going to ask it in a way that says, "Hey, look, I know a guy doing this." No, no, well, no, no offer him offer him eighteen percent, Morgan. He'll probably go for 18%. it. Eighteen percent. I don't. I, I don't profess myself to be an expert. I'm I'm constantly learning, and and you know I I could tell a good story on on Excel, but you know to to put financial investigations in the words, in that that somebody that that is the expertise that I rely on from the U.S. Attorney's Office because again they, they they've been they've been great, and I've learned so much through them. And 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 the the AUSAs that I've worked with. Well, we've got we've got four hours left. So, is there any other names you want to drop? We can fill the rest of the time. <laughs> well, I gotta go through my notes and see what I forgot. I hey, don't I worry. We'll, we'll add we'll add we'll add a we'll add a door and a half worth of names to this. You just get your spreadsheet out and send it to us. We'll put it on the website. Yeah, I mean, you asked me if if there was something that I wanted to promote. I wanted to promote the people that I worked excellent. with. You and did that, a that good was, job that doing was important that. To me because, That's excellent. And, and I'm sure I forgot other other people. Well, but, they weren't you know, they weren't forgotten. Uh, it just you know it just uh, the the issues of time. It's like hey, look, it's like you're at the award ceremony. You can't mention everybody, but look, everybody was important to the job you do, right? So absolutely, yeah, it's, it's right. all exactly. about teamwork. Exactly. Yeah. Well, for the citizens of New Jersey, uh, and by the way, you're too far from the Garden State Parkway, so I can't ask you what exit you life off of, right? <laughs> no, I'm uh, I'm closer to to two eighty seven than the Parkway. We'll put it that way. Okay. All right. Yeah. Well. There you go, folks. Hey, by the way, too, quick factoid, go to have a little history uh, lesson. You know what one of the names of one of the revolutionary forts was uh, in uh, his county there during the Revolutionary War? What? Fort Nonsense. <laughs> <laughs> Real yeah. fact. Yeah, well, I, I could tell you stories about guys getting stuck up there because trees have fallen or, or what have you. But no, it, it's actually a, a, a pretty a pretty cool little little nook up there yeah it's, yeah, it's, it's some it's, great it's, revolutionary worst yeah. well hey look we got to bring this to a close but hey look again keith this is folks can't see this but this is me saluting you sir saying sir thank you for your service to your community to your country Absolutely. thank you for taking the toys and the money away from the bad guys and girls and uh 
we just want to say thank you, you know, real seriously, thank you for coming on and spending your time because you got lots of stuff going on. We've heard sirens. We've heard gunshots. Well, not really gunshots, <laughs> but uh, we've heard people going, hey, is this Keith done yet? Is he done milking it? Yeah. You know, so, uh, yeah, hey, but seriously, up. man. Yeah, thank, I thank you. Right. No, I, I, it's, it's an honor to be on here with you guys, and, and you've, you've had a... A, a lot of great, um, you know, guests on and, and it's, yeah, it's, it's, we just uh, added another one to it. So you did well. Absolutely. This is yeah, a great story, you. man. Thank you. All right. You all, everybody hang tight. You guys don't go anywhere. Everybody else stay tuned for the debrief. So here's a guy who said at first he didn't academically do well, but he had a head for numbers, played football, PricewaterhouseCoopers, Major League Soccer, you know, was he wanted to, you know, get in all the sports stuff. But yet instead what he does, I mean, I'm serious, you, you got to be, I don't know where he finds the time between what he does with DEA, between what he does with uh, IRS, between what he does for Morristown. Uh, yeah, I just, I mean, you got to sloop. If people only understood how much time and effort goes into it. These folks do not get paid enough for the time and effort they put in. That's the truth. And then you heard, you know, he ended up having to uh, create the uh, all the investigation and background work and paperwork to get accreditation for their police department in New Jersey. I mean, it's, it's a, and then on top of that, you got a family, you know, is uh, like we said in the intro, he just took his daughter down to the University of Georgia and that's, you know, they're not flying down there. They're driving down there. So it's it's like this guy, I don't know if he's got like 28 hours in his day instead of 24 hours like the rest of us. But, Keith, you're doing a phenomenal job. It was a true honor to have you on here. Um, you're one of those guys like when we had uh, Bob Mazur on here that did the movie The Infiltrator. So smart that I don't understand a lot of the stuff that you're talking about. But <laughs> darn glad to have you on our side, brother. <laughs> 1,200 cash transactions, of his, you know, entries he had to sort through. Took up a door and a half is what he said. And yeah. so you think how about mind-numbing that is. I have a hard enough time just putting the invoices together for some of the work I do, and I've only got five lines on those things. He's <laughs> talking about 1,200 entries, watching the money flow, and then figuring all this stuff out. Yeah, yeah. What's the significance of that? Well, the significance is I'm blind and just bored out of my brain. But, you know, just glad to have people like him just on our side. Just don't take pictures of your neighbor if you're blind. <laughs> <laughs> that's still one of the funniest ones we've had on here so far. I would take – well, but the, my question is then how does he know what she looks like if he's blind? Maybe he's just saying I wouldn't do it because I'm a good guy, but, you know. Yeah, and if you're wondering what we are talking about here, you probably fast-forwarded through the intro to today's show. So go you back and listen, go listen to, to Small, Small Town, Town Police Plotter. There you go. <laughs> hey, but, but again, Keith, this is us saluting you, sir. Thank you again. Uh, for coming on. Thank you to the uh, the folks out there who are on the front lines of terrorism, yes. of narcotics trafficking, of, of, of people who want to do America harm. And, and it's not sexy, folks, to follow, to watch cash transactions and see these. these uh, but let me tell you, at the end of the day, money is what makes the criminal world go round. And if you can take away their money, you can take away their toys, and you can take away and you go after who you should be going after are the people who are really profiting from this, the heads of these organizations and the cartels and the bad guys like the case we talked about. Yeah, Keith, thank you again. God bless you, brother. And God bless all the law enforcement professionals out there that are protecting us every freaking day, 24-7, 365. And Keith, uh, he went on vacation just right after he got done with this. I don't know if the vacation was scheduled or he had to take it after we kept him for a marathon session. So <laughs> either way, enjoy your time off. You better not be working, pal. That's all I can say. And let me once again reiterate, Keith says that he has absolutely no access 
to our tax returns. So uh, that's a, that's a no-no. So we just want to clarify that. We were joking, joking IRS uh, in that don't audit me. Um, but anyway, hey, guys, but we want to thank you once again. This is a great episode, and these are the type of things that uh, we really love keeping us going. But if you love this episode, if you love the podcast, head on over to Apple and Spotify. Hit those five stars. It's magic. We don't know how it works. It's David Blaine, uh, David Copperfield, you know, Magic Kingdom all rolled up in one. Also, head on over to GameOfCrimesPodcast.com uh, for, for for more information. Blah, I can't even talk. I need more coffee or beer, <laughs> one or the other. Uh, we, we, that's where we put a lot of our good stuff about the show. You know, we're constantly updating it. We add the merch, the Patreon, uh, you know, and things like that. Uh, follow us on the social media at Game of Crimes on Twitter, at Game of Crimes Podcast on Facebook and the Instagram. Uh, PayPal, if you want to use PayPal, just go to Game of Crimes Podcast at gmail.com or use PayPal.me slash Game of Crimes, whatever it makes it easier. But Murph, we close out with saying, but, you know, if you're going to be somewhere, everybody's got to be somewhere, right? What's the place they really ought to be? On Patreon. Come over and check us out. It's, you know what? You don't even have to love us. Just like us a lot. You can go in there and, and listen to some of the other things. One of the, one of the things that I love that we do on Patreon is the Q&A session where our listeners send in the questions and we have not shied away from answering a single one. And it doesn't have to be and funny. by the way, Katie, Katie Clark replied back. She said, oh, I just, we love you guys. I've just given you a hard time. She didn't really mean what she said about me. Oh, Katie, don't back off. Don't back <laughs> off. Keep, keep the pressure on him. I'm with you, girl. I'm with you. <laughs> yeah, but, the, yeah. but that's just an idea of some of the fun we have. And, and our listeners, it, it can, the questions can be anything. We, we'll even talk about our personal lives to a certain degree. So um, give us a shot. Come to Patreon. See what you think. If you don't like us, just keep paying. That's all we, you know, asking for here. So there you it go, helps Murph. us to you keep finally the show have been going. trained. I know. I didn't say the C, the C word this time. Word. That's right. <laughs> all right, guys. Well, hey, let us bring this once again to an end. And uh, again, we thank you guys. You're the reason we do this. Trust me, it's not for the money. Um, we would not even be. Uh, we would be more profitable for us to go work at McDonald's and the yes. drive-through lane. But we're, but we're not fun. doing it for the money. We're doing it for the fun. Seriously, we're doing it for the fun and the stories we get to bring you. So. We want to tell you once again, thank you for playing the biggest, baddest, most tax compliant, tax friendly, file our quarterlies on time, all the time. Yes. Podcast, Game of Crimes. 